So I have some really fun horse stories for you this morning. Uh, when Don and I, so I grew up, uh, and my my uh, mom's uh, parents were uh, dairy farmers. So every year we would travel and we'd spend uh, summer, you know, a month or so on a farm. And so, you know, one of the things that was really cool about that was chasing geese and chickens and catching them and then torturing my younger sisters with them. Oh my gosh, it was like the most fun thing I could ever do. And uh, it was so fun. Anyway, um, and we also had this horse, his name was Caesar, and so I grew up around horses, and you know, it was pretty fun, but when I was, um, when we, we had first got married, Don and I, uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Virginia, because it's, con- it's called the love state, right? So we went to Virginia, and you know, we're hanging out, and we're like, well, what are some of the things we should, we should do? And so Don grew up with horses, and she's like, we should go horseback riding, and I was like, I can do that, it's, how hard can that be? Um, so... <laughs> So we go, and I think there was like eight or nine of us, right? And we, we got to the, to the you know, place where we're meeting this lady, and she's going to do a trail ride. And so she's like, okay, let me get you all hooked up on your horses. And so everybody gets on their horses. I'm the last person, though. And so the last horse that's left is this small horse pony, okay? And I'm like, that's an awfully small horse. And so she's like, oh, you'll be fine. So she just sends the, the people off and they go on their little trail ride and I'm like trying to get on this horse and I get on it finally and I'm literally, my toes are like just off the, the ground, like barely. So we start going and then the saddle starts sliding all over the place. So I'm literally kicking myself like, like back onto center and I'm just like, this is not, I didn't know though. I was like, I don't think this is normal and I'm watching everybody else on their big horses and I'm like, why don't I get one of those? And the lady's just laughing the whole time and, and just basically, you know, me trying to, trying to not die. So that was, that was our first horse experience. And I was like, I am never doing that again. I do not, just, it was terrible, you know. And so we waited over about 10 years. And then Don's like, we should go on another horseback ride. Because <laughs> that's how she sounds. And I'm like, all right. So we had this friend who's really into it, like professional level horse riding. She's like, oh, I have this perfect trail ride person. We're going to go on this horse ride, and it's going to be amazing, and you will love it. I don't know what's going on here, sorry. Uh, anyway, so we, we go, and we get on, on, we meet at this trail, and there's a whole bunch of us, and I, I get this horse, and it's like a little bit bigger than the last one, so I'm like, okay, this is finally, you know, what it's supposed to be like. And I get on it, and we're going up and up and down all these hills, and finally, like after the third hill, my horse is unusually wet. And I'm like, what is wrong with this horse? And I'm like feeling, it's just sweat is just coming all down its neck. And I'm like, this horse, is this normal? And so I'm like, oh, pardon me. And the lady comes over and I'm like, is this normal? She's like, oh, the horse is fine. And she feels it. She's like, oh no, this is not fine. Get off that horse right now. It's about to die. And I'm like, what? So So basically this horse could not handle all of the manliness that is before you, this is what I would like, that's my version of the story, and uh, so she switches horses, and, and that's the last time I've ridden horses uh, since then, and uh, then we moved to Red Bluff, and you know, friends of ours have horses, and I see it, and I'm like, God bless you, it's amazing, and I'm so glad that you enjoy horses. Um, let's stand up together, we're going to pray for a moment, and then get started with uh, today's, today's talk. I don't know what's going on here. Um, apologize for that. But let's, let's go ahead and pray. 
Um, Father, uh, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for your presence to be with us and to, uh, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us as we spend some time engaging with scripture and thinking deeply about how it applies to our lives. And Lord, as we've been praying for all these different needs um, for people in our community, um, Lord, I would just ask that you, you would meet all those needs and that you would um, lead us each, Lord, as a community of people to be able to meet the needs that we see around us. And Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for you being present with us, for guiding us and for um, empowering us, Lord, to faithfully serve you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So um, I think I'm good to go here now, all right. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. So anyway, um, you know, what's interesting about the Bible though, you know, when we think about, about applying it, you know, and living in a community that's, I guess I would consider Red Bluff an agricultural community, would everybody agree that that's kind of what we are? When we first were looking at moving here, I was told by everybody, this was a cowboy town. And I was like, all right, well, you know, we lived in Wisconsin for 15 years. I know about cowboys, <laughs> like dairy farmers. Isn't it the same thing? Uh, I, whoa, judgmental, jeez. So obviously we didn't really know, but we, we moved here and, and uh, you know, it's been, been so fun being a part of this community and getting to know people. But one of the things that's fascinating about uh, about agricultural communities is even though there's major differences between dairy farmers and, you know, walnut farmers, and there's some pretty big differences for, for that type of world, there's also a lot of similarities too. And it's really interesting because the Bible is full of agricultural metaphors all over the place. In fact, you can't help but, but stumble upon these, these metaphors when you're, when you're engaging with scripture. And I'm going to just turn this off because I don't know what's going on and it's kind of distracting. So I apologize for that. Um, but what I want to do this morning is I want to look at, at um, Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 and, and really think through about, um, about this past description and how it applies to our life. I mean, when you think about the Bible, you'll see all these different metaphors that include agricultural thinking. Like, for instance, a very popular scripture, Psalm 23, where we read that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And there's all these te texts of scripture that, that, that kind of lean into that direction. And so listen to what the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, for they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. So last week, we spent some time talking about handling and managing disappointment. And I, I've been thinking a lot about that because I felt like last week the Lord really, um, you know, in the middle of the week just kind of um, prompted me to talk about disappointment because what I've been finding in the last, I don't know, two years, <laughs> that there's a lot of disappointment going on. And, and one of the things that I, I love, I mean, there's things about being a pastor that I find really annoying or I just don't enjoy. 
like administrative things. But what I do love is I love being with people and I love meeting with people and I love sitting with people. And it's such a great um, joy and honor that Don and I have to be able to do that and to, and to be involved in people's lives. But what happens is when people are living life, especially in the last couple of years, they, they have challenges. They have disappointments. And so I really felt like, you know, perhaps we needed to take a step back last week and really think about how do we manage disappointments and wrestle with them? Because what I've found with the own disappointments that I've faced is that those disappointments can really easily cause us to start to like lose faith or lose trust or to feel all alone or to feel like nothing will ever change. Right? And so we talked about that a little bit. And, and I started thinking more about that this week. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that we need to realize um, as we think about this is that we're all going through this, first of all. You know, like I was surprised at how many people last week came and talked to myself and Don and said, yeah, we have been going through an overwhelming amount of disappointment and that just they just really identify with that and I took great comfort in that because I don't know about you but sometimes I don't know if you if you wrestle with this too but it does feel like we're all alone when we're going through some of these things anybody in the room just be willing to admit like it feels like that like oh man like I don't know you know you go through one more thing and it's like really really you know and man it's like is it is it ever gonna is it ever gonna stop raining on my parade and, and I know that we're, we're going through those things, and so I think sometimes just talking about that's helpful because we can all collectively say, hey, you know what? We're not all in this on our, on our own. We actually are in a community, and other people are going through it too. And so I took a little bit of comfort from that. But, you know, after last week, I heard all these different people talking about the struggles that they've had, the feelings of disappointment and disillusionment, and I think that there is a lot of comfort knowing that you're not alone. But here's the thing. Not only has life thrown a lot of curveballs and challenges all of our way, which causes us to be, you know, discouraged and disappointed, I think it's important to acknowledge that the world we live in, the world that we live in is actually shaping us to be disappointed and to be disillusioned and to be dissatisfied. And here's what I mean by that. Like, if you watch any media, TV, or if you're on social media, whatever it is, we are being trained to be more or less or to feel like our lives don't matter or we don't have enough. I mean, that's the whole point of a commercial, right? The commercial is trying to communicate to you that you are not living the best life because you don't have a cheeseburger from Hardee's or whatever thing is on, right? I mean, that's the whole point of, of commercials is they're trying to tell you that you are not successful until you have dot, dot, dot. And so we are being shaped, I think, to constantly feel like we're dissatisfied. We are constantly being shaped by this world um, and all forms of media are telling us that we are not successful enough. We don't have enough things. And so, you know, I think we get trapped into this pursuit of more money. We have to have more money. We never have enough money. We're told that money will lead us to all types of happiness. And so we pursue that. Um, media is constantly shaping us to want to have more influence in the world. We want to have more influence in the world. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I talk to people. I'm like, you know, young people. I'm like, well, what, do you, what do you want to be when you want to grow up? When you grow up, 
you know what they oftentimes say? I want to be rich and famous. And I'm like, okay, for what? Nothing. I just want to be rich and famous. I'm like, oh, okay. And I think that's different. It's, it's different to want to have influence to be rich and famous for the sake of being rich and famous, which is different than someone saying that I want to be a doctor someday and I can make a good living that way. Do you all see that? There's a difference between those two concepts. And yet we're being shaped today to really want to have more money, more influence, and I think more things. We, we feel like we need more, more, more. Keeping up with the Joneses becomes a real significant thing if you are constantly being um, influenced by the barrage of media. And I think that we have to just acknowledge, though, that that is a trap. Amen? Do you agree? It's a trap to get caught up in these pursuits. And so we're told that we never have enough money, we never have enough influence, we never have enough stuff. And that, I think, is what I'm talking about when I say that we live in a culture that is constantly disappointed and dissatisfied. And I think that those things are actually connected more often than we realize. Like, I think it's one thing to be dissatisfied, and it's another thing to be disappointed. But oftentimes those things are connected, and it's really, really a kind of an interesting thing to think about. And, and another thing, too, is I think that oftentimes we may be dissatisfied with the actual wrong things that we should be dissatisfied. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's one thing to be dissatisfied about your prayer life. Like, like I think that's a good thing to be dissatisfied by. And just this morning as we were singing, first of all, I have to say, I love Terry Dean so much because, yeah, like, she's not fake. Like today, I don't know, what did, Terry, you started singing the wrong lyrics. And I just like, you're like, sorry. I'm like, that's so normal. Like, it's, it, I, I mean, growing up in church, it was always like you had to pretend you meant to do it. <laughs> like, oh, we totally meant to do that. That's, we're throwing you off. You're not spiritual enough if you didn't discern that. But... <laughs> But what I mean by what I mean is about worship is that this morning as we were singing those songs, I was just thinking about how, you know, in this space of worship as we're singing these songs and we're engaging with God, what a beautiful space to be in. And I was just saying hi, I just missed that this week. I missed I missed last week, like this week in the sense of like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm praying, but it's it's unique to be in a church gathering singing songs together. It's just something beautiful about that because we're connecting with the true living God. We are actually engaging with him. And so I, I really, I think that there's something beautiful about that. And I am dissatisfied at not having that every single day of my life. Does that make sense? How I can be dissatisfied about my prayer life not being as, as deep or as consistent as, as I want it to be. And I think that that is a good dissatisfaction but oftentimes we're dissatisfied for the wrong things. We're dissatisfied for the wrong things and we get caught up in this world where we're pursuing these things that are so, so um, you know, empty or shallow and they're not eternal and they don't lead to transformation. They just, they just leave us hungry for more things. And so that's what I wanna just think a little bit about this morning is this idea of, of finding contentment in a culture that is constantly disappointed and dissatisfied. L listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is in 1 Timothy 
chapter 6, in verses 6 through 10. Listen to what what Paul says here. These are profound words that he writes to uh, Timothy, who's at this time uh, in the city of, of Ephesus. Listen to what he says here. This is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. He says, yet true godliness, Paul says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Did you hear that? Godliness with contentment is of great gain. You are, if you can have godliness and be content with the things that God has given you, you are rich. You are rich. Listen to what he writes on. He says, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows, with many sorrows. So this whole idea of pursuing, you know, fame and, and money and, and influence and power and, and things is, according to Paul, short-sighted. It actually doesn't lead to happiness. And I want to be really clear here. I am not suggesting that if you have more money than other people or if you are wealthy that you can't love Jesus. I think that that's crazy. In fact, some of the most generous people I know are people who have a lot of blessings from God. But I can tell you that if you spend your whole entire life dissatisfied with the things that God has placed in your life and you're constantly peeking over the fence looking at everybody else and what they have and you spend your whole life pursuing those things, you will be unhappy. You will be unhappy because those things can never ever satisfy you in the same way that faith in Jesus, a relationship with God can. That's, that's what I have discovered all of my life. So Paul says developing contentment. He says learning, learning to have gratitude for the provisions in the state of your life is in and of itself great wealth. And this is why we must learn, I think, to gauge the quality of our lives less on what we don't have and more on what we do have, especially those things that God has provided for us. So to be clear, I I just want to let you know that I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't desire to improve our lives or get a better job or anything like that. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of what you may be pursuing or thinking that will bring you happiness that is, in fact, empty. And I mean, I'm just telling you right now, I'm 42 years old, and, and that's been a struggle in my life. You pursue certain things, and you're trying to gain it, but you soon discover that those things are empty, and they never, ever leave you satisfied. Why is that? Because they don't have the power of the kingdom of God. They don't have the power of grace. So, you know, if you read Proverbs at all, um, anybody ever go through Proverbs? The 31 Proverbs, you can do a proverb a day to keep the devil away. That's what somebody told me once. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to read that. Get in there. So I love the Proverbs, though, because all over the Proverbs, we have this contrast between wisdom and foolishness. And, and Proverbs is written by Solomon, King Solomon. He's constantly saying, my son, pursue wisdom. 
My son, avoid foolishness. My, my daughter, pursue, pursue wisdom. With all you can do with your life is get wisdom, that's a good thing. And so you have this major contrast going on between wisdom and foolishness. And, and you see it all over the place. And a lot of what I'm talking about right now has to do with the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Because we live in a society, can we just be honest to say that our world has abandoned many of the lost virtues of the ancient world. Like pursuing wisdom used to be something people actually valued, amen? And now it's like, why? You know, loyalty, love, kindness, courage. These things are, are less and less a part of the world we live in, but we see over and over again in the Proverbs this emphasis on pursuing those things, those, those forgotten virtues. But let me just tell you right now, part of this whole wisdom and foolish, foolishness thing is, is that you would be wise to avoid falling for the traps of the world. You would be wise to avoid the foolishness of trying to, to, to build your kingdom apart from God's kingdom. So think about why learning to be content and learning to discern God's direction is so important for us this morning. Because if you don't, you'll constantly think that the grass is greener on the other side, right? I mean, if you, if you are unable to gauge and to discern the world you live in, you will constantly be wondering how you can get more, constantly. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is for everybody, but midlife crises are real. You're past that. But did you have one? Did you ever have one? Okay. I don't know what age is. It's probably different for different people. But it's like, like this whole last two years, it just feels like every Monday I'm having a midlife crisis. You know? It's like, oh, man. You know, and, and, and so midlife crises are real. And when you go through disappointments or challenges or you are struggling with things or if you are, are wrestling with griefs and losses and all these different things that happen, it, it just seems like midlife crisis becomes more of a reality that you're wrestling with, you know, what should I do? And, and I think it's also, you know, influenced by the world we live in, which is constantly telling us that we don't have enough. We need more. And, and so these things are real, but this is what I find really interesting. Is in my life, I, I went through the season where I was like, I don't think I was in midlife crisis, hopefully, but I was definitely in this place where I was like, I need to do something different with my life. And I was really wrestling with what I, should I do? And I kept thinking about, you know, about these other opportunities and these other things that I could do. And you know, the, the different money I could make or more money I could make or more influence I could have. And, and, I, and I was at this church. It was really interesting. I, I was um, in Nebraska at this small church and I was helping this church go through this process of losing its pastor and, and having like just their, their entire um, world imploded and really wrestling through things. There's like 15 people in this church. And I, and I remember um, just trying to encourage them, like, keep going the distance. God is good. It'll be okay. Blah, blah, blah. And one person in that board came up and told me, they say, hey, listen, I feel like the Lord gave me a word for you. I was like, okay, I'd love, you know, love to hear that. And they said, well, I feel like you've been really struggling with, with your, your role and your gifting and your calling in life. And I just want to let you know that the Lord has told me to tell you that you need to bloom where you're planted. 
And as soon as those words came out of that person's mouth, I was cut to the heart. Like, so strongly, I just knew that the Lord was on that. I don't know if you've ever had that happen when you know the Lord is speaking to you, and it's like you've already been feeling or sensing something from God, and then somebody else calls it out, and it's like, like you know, you try to hold it together. Like, I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm good. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went and sat down, and I just felt like the Lord said, yeah, you know, you need to bloom where you're planted. I have placed you in this role. I've placed you in this place and I am sovereign, I'm at work. And I just was like, okay, I need to bloom where I'm planted. And, and here's the deal though. We can all agree that we should bloom where we're planted. But like I said last week, it's really easy to think the grass is greener on the other side, but the reality is that grass is always greener where you water it. And so if you wanna bloom where you're planted, I'm telling you right now, you need to also water where the Lord has put you. You need to water in the places that you are called. So think about where you work, think about the relationships that you have, the family members that you're around, the community that you're a part of. You need to water in those places if you want the grass to be green. Anybody in the room want grass green? Yeah, if you do, then you need to water where you want grass to be green. Let's stand up together. This whole thing though, I think brings us back to Psalm one. Because again, I'd like to point out that the psalmist has some very interesting and helpful words for us. He says, he's comparing the, again, wisdom and foolishness. He says, foolish people follow the advice of the wicked. They stand around with all the people doing all the wrong things. They join in with mocking people. But he talks about those who do not do those things. He says, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So in other words, people who delight and meditate on the teachings of scripture are constantly thinking about it and engaging it. He says, those people are like trees planted along the riverbank. It's grass that is being watered, okay? He says, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. So there's a blessing, a thriving, a greening that happens when we think about where God has placed us and we begin to water that soil. And here's what I wanna say before we receive communion is as I'm praying and thinking about the crazy world that we live in, I have to tell you, I am really concerned about some of the things that we are neglecting as followers of Jesus. Like I can't comment on society at large. I am not smart enough to do that. But as a follower of Jesus, I wanna tell you that I think, I think we need to be concerned about neglecting particular things that God has given us to experience grace. And here's what they are, okay? I think it is, it is concerning if we are neglecting a life of prayer. Prayer is, I think, the church has made this really complicated. Like, you know, if you really want to have a prayer life, you need to learn King James English. And when you pray, you have to talk to thou and thy, and it's like, I don't even know how to do that. Joking. Prayer is simply communication with God. It's just talking to God, right? But it's also listening to God. And so I think we, if we neglect prayer, there's a problem. If we neglect engaging scripture, there's a problem. If we neglect community and worship, there's a problem. If we neglect receiving the sacraments, communion, there's a problem. 
Like God designed this right here, this meal, to communicate to us grace. It communicates to us love and mercy. It communicates to us that there are things that are eternal, that are transformative, that will not fail us and leave us empty and shallow, amen? And so in a moment, we're gonna receive communion. And I wanna tell you that I think that, um, you know, many of us gather every week and we look forward to this. Some of you, maybe it's just another thing. Um, but if you're here for the first time or you don't have a communion pack, I would love to invite you to come forward right now, just like Terry's doing, and to receive the bread and the cup. And if you're uh, new to our church, you don't have to feel like you've been coming here forever to participate. We say this is a meal that's for all followers of Jesus, but if you're here this morning and you don't know what a relationship with God looks like, but you want to have one, you are welcome to come to the table to receive grace this morning. So we're just gonna wait for a moment if there's anybody else that would like to receive. And I'm gonna read a passage of scripture then we're gonna receive together. Because I think it's important that we don't neglect this grace. It's important that we do not neglect this grace. There's this like really weird false humility thing where it's like, we don't wanna receive help. You know, like someone says, hey, we'd love to do this for you. Oh, no, no, don't bother me. Don't bother about me. You all know what I'm talking about? And I know we all do it. It's like, oh, don't worry about me. And, and we, we overlook that when people are extending hospitality and grace to us, it's an act of kindness and it's, it's important for us to receive that. And so this morning, this is a reminder of God's hospitality. It's a reminder of Jesus' kindness to us because what this represents is the, the wafer on top represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And then the cup represents and points to his shed blood. And so this is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes these words. He says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so as we hold up this bread as a community, every week we break it together as a reminder of his broken body. Let's break it together. And Holy Spirit, would you help us to experience Jesus' broken body now? Let's receive together. As we hold up this cup, we give thanks for your grace. Lord, I pray that as we drink, Lord, that we would not only drink this juice, but we would drink deeply from the wells of your love. Let's receive together. And if you would join me in just closing your eyes and 
bowing your head. just to pray together as a community. Just for any needs in this room. and um, So let's just wait. You know, one of the things that we believe as a church is that God is at work and that God still speaks to us and that, um, you know, you have... A need, you have needs in your life, and the beautiful thing is that God can meet those needs right now. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this into this place. We thank you that you are at work here. So I just sense that there's a, a number of you um, in this room right now who, when you heard the phrase, bloom where you're planted, something kind of perked up in your heart, but you really feel like you have no idea how to A, discern if you've been planted by God, and then B, how to bloom. Like you just kind of feel at a loss for that. And in particular, I just have this sense that there's a couple of you that it has to do with your work, that in your, in your vocation, in your work, um, that you just feel kind of lost in a sense, like you don't know how to bloom, you don't know how to water, you don't know how to try to make that space greener. And so I just really feel led to pray for you, um, that God would help you to, to sense those things and to know exactly what relationships to press into and what things that you can do that would help those spaces to be more um, intentionally intentionally a part of God's, God's kingdom. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now for anybody in this room that identifies with that can say, yeah, I don't know how to bloom. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to know exactly who we can foster relationships with that you would help us to know what we can intentionally do in order to, to blossom. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to be at work in those spaces. And Lord, if, if other people in this room are like me, we just need you to smack us upside the head. Lord, subtle, might work for some smart, smart people in here, but Lord, for some of us, we just need you to be so obvious. And so um, I just invite you, God, the God who, who loves to communicate with his creation, would you please speak to us over and over again? Would you help us to so clearly know exactly where you're at work? And Lord, with all the different needs that are represented in this room, I pray that you would help us to see that neglecting the things of your kingdom, Lord, will help foster a, a closer relationship with you so that we can be more in step with what you're doing. 
would you help us to love the world around us, to live as wise people who are kind and courageous. Lord, I pray a blessing for every single person as we transition from this gathered space of worship and prayer and and receiving communion, Lord, that you would go with us into the world around us that we could be lights, lights in this dark world. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people who agreed said amen. Folks, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. If you have any needs, please let Don or I know and we'll talk to you all Sunday. There's still coffee out there, so feel free to hang out.